I'm Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. This is part one of our conversation with seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, Jimmy Johnson, the 46-year-old who has been known to do marathons and triathlons in his free time, retired from NASCAR in 2020, only to become an IndyCar rookie in 2021. In 2022, he plans to contest the full IndyCar schedule, driving the number 48 Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing. Johnson is still adjusting to open wheel racing in which the car weighs less, travels faster, that's upwards of 230 miles per hour, and produces more G-forces than a NASCAR vehicle. Another challenge is the lack of power steering, which has pushed Johnson to revamp his training, focusing on grip, core, and upper body strength, as well as upper body cardio to condition him for the higher heart rate demands of driving an IndyCar. All right. Well, good morning, Jimmy. How are you and where are you? I'm in Charlotte. And doing great. Thank you. You've got your kids home from school this week, huh? I do. What a pleasure. Uh, <laughs> homeschooling is, uh, I think the pandemic has been plenty dangerous, but the challenges of homeschooling, I think, are the greatest danger that exists. <laughs> how, how old are your kids? 11 and 8. Ah, so, and they're old enough to like band together and collude against dad, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very true. The 11 being self-guided and able to work the device and stay connected to school works pretty well. The six, seven, eight range that we've dealt with through the pandemic. She's now at a point where she can move through it pretty well and, and easily and self-guided, but it still requires a fair amount of overseeing and checking in, which as with a family of a husband and wife that work in our busy schedules, it provides plenty of challenges. I can absolutely imagine. Are, are your kids athletic as well? Are they having to give up some sports and stuff now? They both are really active with riding horses. And awesome. thankfully, that environment needing to take care of the animals and, and ride them has, even in full lockdown, that was considered a necessity or whatever the, the phrasing was at the time. So they've been able to stay active and get outside and be outside and be in a safe environment outside. That's actually sounds great. Riding horses is, sounds like a perfectly excellent socially distanced activity. I would love to do that on a daily basis, right? Yeah. And they've been able to really flourish with the extra time through the through lockdown that we had. So it was, uh, was kind of one of the silver linings for us as a family. That's nice. So you started racing motorcycles at the age of four, if I'm not mistaken, and you moved into racing cars after that, and I think you were a water polo player, a diver, a swimmer. What other sports did you do as a kid? Yeah, my, I got my first dirt bike Christmas. I was four and then started racing that next fall when I was five. My grandparents owned a motorcycle shop. And then where I lived in Southern California, there were a few things that were just kind of commonplace. And one was riding dirt bikes. And then the other ended up being the swimming piece that I, I went through in high school and played water polo. And then our lead diver right before league finals hit his head on the board and, okay. and was concussed and couldn't dive. So I, I raised my hand and said, sure, I'll, I'll try to throw some double front flips and some wild, wild dives to score points for the team. But our swim program, a water polo program really won all the accolades in our school in El Cajon. And our football team was kind of the third or fourth tier. Just what's interesting when you grow up on the West coast and so close to the ocean, um, how some of those priorities shift for the school. 
So I got to ask you this because I had Gary Player on this podcast, the golfer, and he's rather famously fit at 86 years old. And yeah. he posted an Instagram post recently of himself doing a front flip off his springboard into his pool and a back flip off the side <laughs> of a boat. So could you still do those double front flips now? The double, probably not, but <laughs> singles, absolutely even add a little little twist to it. So maybe you should ask Gary player for a flip throwdown. <laughs> yeah. I've had a chance to meet him over the years and, and what a energetic, full of life, just amazing human. And as you started that story and said, he's still throwing flips. It makes me smile because it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually interesting. I have another podcast coming out soon with Mike Watts, who's the performance director for Under Armour. And he was talking about how participating in water sports really helps people become very functional breathers. And all the sports that we do kind of inform the other sports that we participate in. So I'm sort of wondering if the racing and the swimming, if one was beneficial for the other at all. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I haven't been in the pool in a couple of years, but I was on a triathlon kick for the longest time. And my swimming background really led me towards it. Swimming and then my love of cycling. Despised running, but ironically, in my age group category, running's my strength. Get out of the water early. The, what I love the most in cycling has been my, my weakest <laughs> of the three. And then I, I've had good pace in running and, and have closed out my triathlons well. So one, I guess I feel like Swimming has opened up a hobby for me later in life. I think too, with the upper body demands and how compact we are in a cockpit, that swimming also provides a way to build strength and kind of stretch out muscles and add some flexibility. Mm -hmm. So I think swimming really has been a, it really is good for race car drivers. And I should probably get back in the pool uh, as a result. How old were you when you decided to focus solely on racing? It really was the highest of priorities for me as a kid. My schoolwork all the way through high school, when my before my professional career started, everything was really built on that framework of good grades equals being able to go race and ride. And that was it was my sole interest as a kid. And then professionally, I would say a big landmark for me in my professional career was I guess probably 94, 95, somewhere in there, just out of high school. I tried to take a few semesters in a junior college, was trying to figure out my pathway. My new racing was what I wanted to do, but didn't have really a, a road to follow just yet. And I've, I had an opportunity to do some television work through Chevrolet, who I was, was racing for at the time, but I had an opportunity to spend the summer in Wisconsin. And I guess it was 90, 95, actually, the more I think about it. And that summer in Wisconsin, doing the television commentating in conjunction with my off-road racing, I was able to meet enough people and specifically the Herzogs who were an integral part of my career but that summer of 95 is when I knew I needed to put everything else aside and solely focus on motorsport. And I made my bet. If it didn't work out, I'd probably be digging ditches somewhere. <laughs> Who knows what my career path would be. But that was really kind of the, the point in time professionally that I, I went all in. I think I read somewhere that if you weren't a race car driver, you'd be a fireman. I would, but I feel like <laughs> it sounds crazy, but it is such a competitive environment. and 
if I, in say, call it 96, pursued that pathway, I would have been years behind kids that started in the junior fire academy. So I think I had a huge interest in it, but I don't know if my timing would have worked out if I pursued racing and it didn't play out if I could have gotten into the fire program. Wow. So you ended up obviously in NASCAR for nearly two decades, incredibly successful before switching over to IndyCar last season. And because this is a fitness podcast and you're definitely known for your physical fitness, Indy cars, they're lighter, they're faster. That means more G-forces, but they're also open on the top. So it maybe doesn't get as hot in there. What are some of the differences physically in driving those two types of cars that have had the biggest impact on you? I would say the differences, you kind of go from endurance sport, you call that NASCAR, lower heart rate, longer duration, to IndyCar where it's a shorter duration, but much higher heart rate. And certainly more strength required in the IndyCar due to the G-forces, but more importantly, due to the fact there's no power steering in the car. That's really been an interesting challenge. My arms and chest and shoulder area was probably easier to, you know, that, that seemed more logical that that would be a challenge. It was easy to get the strength there. What's been a surprise to me has been back kind of mid to lower back because that's your anchor to control your feet and the brake pedal pressure is pretty high. And that's also your anchor for your upper body. And I probably spent half the year trying to get half the season last year, trying to get not only my core, but that opposing area in my back strong enough to support the demands of a, of a race weekend. What are you doing to strengthen your lower back and your core? So if I'm doing bench press or chest, it's now dumbbells and I'm in a position where I have to support myself from a core standpoint. Romanian dumbbell lifts are another one. I'll do push-ups where, let's see, as an example, for in a push-up, my right arm will be up on an elevated block. Mm-hmm. My left arm is on the floor. My legs do the opposite where my then right leg would be on the floor and my outside leg would be up. So I'm kind of in a tabletop position and needing to support and hold my lower extremities through my lower back some variations on plank, just a variety of different things that are looped into the strength to kind of attach and use core stability and back stability and have that incorporated into the strength routine. And these are things that you didn't have to do when you were driving NASCAR. NASCAR without the real physical load up top due to having power steering, the G-forces weren't a huge issue because we could bring our headrest in to support our head and neck. It really was about maintaining a moderate heart rate for a long period of time. So cycling really was my outlet for that, cycling and running and a little bit of swimming. At this stage in IndyCar, cycling's great. I use it more as a recovery tool and there's much more specific high heart rate, upper body cardio exercises that I'm doing through either the rower or through the skier machine. Oh God, the ski erg machine is the devil. Oh, it's awful. They, they, we have this ladder we're doing right now in the off season where you start with a thousand meters of row, immediately go over and do a hundred meters of ski erg. And you work your way all the way through that ladder to end up with a thousand meters of ski erg and a hundred meters of row. Uh, it's uniquely called the death ladder. Yeah. And there's a time out there that I'm chasing through uh, my fitness routine is coming through pit fit. He's based in Indiana right now. And they have a fast time that all of us are trying to chase down right now. 
Well, all their athletes. For people who don't know what the ski erg is, it's kind of like the rowing machine, like up and down. And it has these cables that you pull as if you were pushing poles behind you. And it, it is just an upper body gasser. And it is the devil that definitely is. is a perfectly apt explanation. Surprisingly a full body workout too. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. you, you feel it in your legs and your hamstrings and it is awful, but it works. It is highly effective. It's interesting. We also had our Amarola on the podcast and he was talking about how NASCAR, you get your heart rate does get elevated in the car, but it's in that like zone three, no man's land of heart rate. And the only way to really do that is on a bike or in a, in a slow run. How much higher, where does your heart rate sit when you're in an Indy car? Yeah, it's, it's redlined. And I figured that out quickly. You are that zone four, zone five, and my strength really is the long and lower, longer duration, lower heart rate. That's where triathlon has been so good for me in endurance sports. So for myself to have these short, powerful bursts, the higher heart rate, I've had to get very uncomfortable through the course of last year and, and trying to even do so now through the winter, just to make sure that I'm ready for St. Pete because you come out of the gate with a warm race, a street circuit, which is highly physical. And it's kind of out of my sweet spot. So it's been another interesting challenge for me to make this conversion over to IndyCar. So when you're doing these upper body cardio workouts, I mean, what is the duration of them compared to the duration of an IndyCar race? And has it made an impact on you being able to control your heart rate through the IndyCar races? Yeah, it really has. And I feel like there are some similarities to the triathlon world or through my training focus on the NASCAR side of life. And, and what I'm getting at there is just trying to get into that lactic threshold area. So speed work that you would do for running or cycling, it's kind of 25 minutes to 45 minutes, depending on the trainer you use. And you do that a couple of times a week for swim, bike, run. And it's, it's very similar, but I'm doing it through the rower or through the, uh, the skier machine and have two to three days of speed work, if you will, or that high lactic threshold work. And then you backfill from there with just low, low heart rate recovery work, active recovery, just to kind of build the foundation from there. I was going to ask what a typical week of working out looks like for you. You said three days of those, the upper body cardios. What about just straight up lifts? How often are you doing your strength exercises? It depends on the week, but it's, it averages probably two to three days of strength that's incorporated into it. Every other day is neck, but then we kind of work through push and pull upper body stuff. And then of course, always tackling the stability stuff with core and back. So in a typical week, in addition to you're working out pretty much every day, it sounds like how much time on top of that do you spend in the car? I would say the minimum is probably 90 minutes, six days a week. I could bring it down to five and I don't upset the trainers too much. So five to six days a week on that. And then on a race weekend, we try to time our physical peak to be on race day. So we'll start reducing the workload a couple days prior to the event, start tapering. If they're back-to-back -back race weekends, it's really about kind of active recovery in between and, and not really worried about it, building strength at that point. So when you add up the practice times at track, it's so short these days, there's probably 90 minutes of practice. You have a qualifying session, a 30-minute warm-up, and then the race. It just it depends on the week again, if they're back-to-back -back races or not. But it's, it's an active week and in-season it's really hard to keep weight on. I remember chatting with Joseph Newgarden two years ago when I was really kind of getting into this. 
And he said, man, put on all the weight you can to start the season, because once you get in season, you're just going to watch yourself shrink as you go. Is that all right for a race car driver? Does lighter kind of mean faster? It depends on the series. In IndyCar, the driver's weight is factored into the gross weight of the car, so there isn't a penalty. Um, It's really about putting on a little extra strength so you can wrestle the car around. But now with the IMSA series that I'm competing in, the car is weighed without the drivers. So any extra weight you carry is a disadvantage. Huh. So no cheeseburgers for you. Well, I mean, you can't just you quit cold turkey. You got to be realistic. <laughs> you get you a wean off the cheeseburgers. Yes, of <laughs> right. course. Right. Okay. So you're 46 years old right now. You've definitely been at this a long time. And I know this is a very 30,000 foot question, but how have your workouts and your attitudes toward working out evolved as you've gotten older? I think younger years, I kind of shrugged it off various stages through my career. I've found that the mindset of being fit is a parallel path to success for me in racing. I think as I've gotten older yet, I've also realized there's a parallel path to kind of my own vision of myself and confidence and self-worth. And there's this emotional piece that comes into it that I'm, I'm probably experiencing more now and than I have. So there definitely is an evolution. I'm one that needs accountability, that needs a purpose to get up earlier, to cram in a workout when I can. And I love the fact that I'm still competing right now and that IndyCar is so physical and is requiring me to maintain a very high level of fitness. So do you use like triathlons, you've run a marathon as ways to keep yourself focused in training? Do you need that like big end goal? I do. And I think my friends have laughed at me over the years, watching me put in so much effort and they're like, man, it's just, it's just a little triathlon. It's just a sprint try. Why are you, why are you putting in so much effort? Mm-hmm. Like, man, I, I paid the entry fee. I'm all in. So yes. it's been a really good way of accountability for me not to mention what friend groups do and training groups do as well. But man, if I sign up for something, I'm in. It's funny. I am totally the same way. I'm like, if I don't do it, I paid for it. I won't get the (laughs) t-shirt. It's like 26 bucks. You're worried about it. It's crazy. Now that you have, obviously IndyCar is presenting a new set of challenges for you. Are you kind of just focused on those or do you have other fitness goals? Like, do you want to do an Ironman or climb Mount Everest or something? I do have other fitness goals. I would love to do some various mountain bike events, even cycling. I've always had my eye on a, on a full Ironman or full distance Ironman done a 70.3. And you know, my fitness from triathlon, it's been a while since I've I've been in that, that specific kind of shape that it seems like a long road, but I wouldn't rule it out. I am surprised just how focused I've needed to be on Indy car and sports car. My schedule is really full. In addition to you know training and the race weekends, there's a lot of simulator work that goes with all of that and testing. So I don't I don't have a lot of extra room because amongst all of this, I have two beautiful daughters and a, mm-hmm. an amazing wife and, and life to live. So I feel like I'm in a in a good spot now. And potentially when I slow down from driving the car, I'll look into some of these other fitness related goals. So it's interesting, like when you're training for a 70.3 or or an Ironman, like those are like workouts that are hours long and they're slogs. And now that you're focusing on IndyCar, 
I read this Wall Street Journal article that was talking about your workouts. You're focused on such tiny things. It's not not big things like riding a bike for three hours. It's increasing your grip strength and making sure your neck is strong enough to handle the G-forces. So the grip is something that's so tiny. We don't all think about it. What do you do to increase your grip strength? The car does have a very specific form of fitness. And I think I was lucky in my NASCAR days that the fitness for the race car was easily achieved through running or cycling. And frankly, it's why I did so many triathlons then and, and it all crossed over so well. But in, in the IndyCar world, with the upper body strength that's needed, again, it, it really kind of boils down to these strength sessions in the gym and push and pull and a lot of dumbbell work. And as an example, yesterday I, I had a, a lift where I had opposing push and pull exercises. They're 10 minutes long in duration. I need eight to 10 reps of the push, eight to 10 reps of the pull. And I just rotate back and forth for 10 minutes between the, the two sets and then move on to another superset. There's three in total. But as an example for grip, I was doing three-point row and sitting there with 60-pound weights for 10 minutes, just cycling through the reps. It's amazing how much grip strength you build just hanging on to the weight that's required for that particular workout. And that, that's what I've been really interested in. And I've always been so specific on building one muscle at a time. And with PitFit and their, uh, their training program, there's a lot of full body motion work that hits many muscles at once. It's, it's been an eye opener for me. Tell me about this weighted neck contraption that you've been using. <laughs> I have a few old fashioned dumbbells laying off the end of a bench works in a pinch. But I also have a, uh, a standard neck machine that I'll use to hit three of the directions. And then Iron Neck came out with this kind of helmet slash hat looking thing that has a slider that moves around so you can really be in motion and strengthen the rotational part of your neck muscles. And there's various bands that attach to this thing. And my wife, I literally got to hide from her when I go to do it. She can't stop laughing at me when I put this contraption on and start working my neck. So this is something that you can even just do around your house, like not even at the gym. Oh yeah, I took it with me to Colorado so that I can keep my neck, at least keep some fitness on my neck during the holidays. And, and I was out in the garage, thought I was, I was hiding and she walked out and just buckled over laughing. <laughs> We're gonna have to find a photo of this to, to put up <laughs> with the podcast. This concludes part one of our conversation with Jimmy Johnson. Be sure to check out part two. To keep up with Jimmy as he heads into his second season in IndyCar, follow him on Instagram and Twitter at, at Jimmy Johnson. That's J-I-M-M-I-E. And check out his website, jimmyjohnson.com. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production.